I think there's this myth that if you're smart enough, you can just start doing anything immediately without any help. A lot of open source projects take off because their creators are excellent marketers. And they don't really realize that what they're doing is marketing. You tend to think that you just need people contributing code and building the product, but you actually need community. A vision. Marketing. Product management. A roadmap. You often see people who are burning out because they were doing all these things when their passion was really coding. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Herba, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. All right, so we're, we're talking open source again. And I think specifically what we're looking at is when you've got this, you've got some open source project, and you tend to think that it's just coders that you need. You just need people contributing code back and, and, and building the product, but you actually need a lot more. And you, you had a specific story about this, Edith. Uh, well, I have a couple. I mean, so we had Armin on a few episodes ago. Armin, yeah. who was the co-founder of HashiCorp, brilliant, brilliant guy. And he was talking about how much marketing had gone into getting their first open source projects off the ground. Yeah, of course. Like that uh, initially, and everybody should go listen to the episode because Armin is brilliant, but uh, he was talking about how they initially got 100 downloads. Mm-hmm. Not per day, not yeah, per month. A, a total. Per year. Mm-hmm. And there was so much work of them going around to meetups and talking about the project and like mm-hmm. basically being marketing. Yeah, yeah. And then also pretty recently I was at a, an event today I was talking to a guy who was on an open source committee, mm-hmm. and his open source committee was community. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, what does that do? And he's like, oh, if people are disagreeing, mm-hmm. we're the arbitrators. So I'm like, so you've basically recreated HR. Mm-hmm. You know, that there needs to be a source of truth or a source of reconciliation mm-hmm. if people are not getting along, which is sometimes not technical, but sometimes just personality. Yeah. I think certainly in the marketing one, I think one of the things that you see a lot of open source projects take off because their creators are, are excellent marketers. Mm. Sometimes you see the same thing with a with a startup that you know you have someone who is a who is a great writer who's like twenty thousand Twitter followers, you know who's got a, a popular blog or something along those lines, and then and then they build something, and because they have this built in distribution channel, that something goes somewhere. Yeah, and they don't really realize that what the, what they're doing is marketing. Right, right. And that means, as we know, engineers hate marketing and they hate being marketed to. Yes, but they love to tweet. <laughs> like, yeah, engineers love being marketed to. They just don't know it. <laughs> I mean, um, when you were at Mozilla, how did you see them breaking up their open source project? Well, Mozilla had such a large distribution channel because it had been going for so long and it was one of the original things. So I, I don't think Mozilla really lacked for, for marketing. And in fact, a lot of the things they did just just by posting on their blog would would automatically get like to the top of Hacker News and, and would get people discussing them. They they did PR quite well. So I don't I don't think Mozilla lacked for for marketing at all. And I think then people don't realize how much marketing they had. And mm-hmm. they think that they could just start an open source project and PR happens. Yeah. So I, I had an open source project back in the day. It was a it was a PHP compiler, and we did we did extremely limited marketing. But the very very small amount of marketing that we did had a tangible effect. So this was this was pre Twitter, and was was just a, just a little too late on the on the open source side of things. So we'd posted on SourceForge and FreshMeet, and, and these were 
this is like 2005. And we, we were just sort of over the hill, but but still all the same on those. They, they, they got tons of people just like checking it out, downloading it, installing it, etc. And I mean, just, just that was, was an act of, of marketing and finding users. How did that make you feel? I mean, I don't think I identified it as marketing at the time. Oh no, but were you happy that people were using it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so actually I, I remember a, a, an argument with the other people on the project that, that, that I eventually convinced them where we were arguing about licensing. And so it was originally a GPL project, and I convinced them to switch it to BSD. And the reason being that we wanted people to use it, and I felt that that the GPL restricted people from from being able to use it. And the, the argument is like, what if like Apple came along? Apple was in, in the yeah. compiler world. Apple was the big baddie that GCC was was pr- trying to stop from from appropriating their software. What if Apple came along and and you know built a closed source product around it? And I was like. That sounds great. <laughs> I'd love to have so many people using our software. <laughs> I think that convinced them. So apart from marketing, and you mentioned community management, I think I think community management is one of those things that people these days are often doing really, really well. There's a lot more people doing a really good job of this. Who do you think does a good job of that? So the Rust community. Um, yeah. I, I think they were one of the first projects to adopt a code of conduct. I remember reading some some posts by Graydon on on their mailing list. Uh, that's Graydon Hoare, who who is the original uh, Rust uh, author designer, where you know someone would post something and and they were just being a dick about it. <laughs> uh, and Graydon would he would answer their question, but he would immediately start by saying, you know, we don't discuss in this way, and sort of you know correct their behavior and then continue the conversation on. Yeah. Uh, in a way that that wasn't excessively confrontational at all, but it made clear what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable in the community. Yeah, I think that's a smart way to do it. Yeah, I joined a, a Slack recently. Um, uh, people you know, still do that. Pe- people do still Slack groups. I, I don't like them, but I, I joined I, one. I thought peak Slack was 2016. I thought it was peaking last year, but yeah, I, I, I'm certainly getting the impression that that people are for for open source projects having a Slack where you can't search. What people have said before, if Slack fixed that, I think that they that Slack would continue to be used for open source communities. But you can search. Uh, there's a ten thousand user limit if oh, you don't pay. If you don't pay, or a ten thousand message limit. Yeah, if you don't is, pay. Yeah. So you, yeah. you can search. It's just you have to. Yeah, but if typically you're going into certainly an open source project Slack to find out the answer to your question, so you want to search for for the answer yeah. to your question, and and th- th- this is why I think. I was reading today some community yeah, that's moving ghost. to ghost, right? Yeah. Move to move to discourse. Yeah, and uh, I've used a bunch of discourses. They're typically discuss dot something, like the Ocaml one, the yeah. Elm one. Like they're really, really good. Yeah, I mean, so Slack also makes threading very hard. It does, and uh, yeah, like they tried to put it in, just it's, it's hard. I mean, you need to bake that in from from the start. Yeah. So okay, so so we've got marketing, we've got we've got community management. I, I think the thing that, that that's mostly missing from open source is product management. And we talked about this in in the episode where where we had Adam Gross on, and it's just like people don't design what they want their software to do. People have changed logs, but no roadmaps. Mm. Well, like uh, GitLab has published a roadmap. Git, sure, GitLab is a company, though. Yeah. I think companies that are built around open source are excellent at this because they have a company to build. They, yeah. they have a place that they're going. Ah, so you're making a distinction between 
open source communities and open source companies. I, I'm really thinking of like you know you start a new open source project today, or you know, you're just like a, a public repo on GitHub. Yeah. And you want people to use it. You want it to turn into something. I mean, maybe maybe it's unspoken, but you're not really doing any of the activities that would actually make that work. And then if you do start to take off, that you're still not doing any of the activities. Unless there's uh, some amount of commercial stuff around it, so like Rails, for example, while Thirty Seven Signals wasn't excessively like they they weren't making money directly off Rails, but they were still making a lot of money in in various ways off the fact that they were the creators of it. And then there's just pure, I'd say, stuff like um, the ones that are most relevant to us right now are, I'd say, Go from Google. Yeah, because yeah. we we were actually built on Go, mm-hmm. and we don't use it, but it's 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 interesting to us because it's adjacent. Uh, Istio, which which Istio? One is that? I don't know What's, if you're following no, it at all. Well, there's kind of two rival standards. Uh, well, depending on who you talk to, rival or complementary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Istio and Envoy, which are this idea of a service mesh. And what are are they not appropriately putting out roadmaps or what? What's the connection here? Oh, just um. They're not trying to charge money. They're just big companies trying to push these kind of open source projects. Right. Okay. Sort of like Kubernetes. Yeah. Except Kubernetes has a roadmap. Yep. Yeah. I I think anything that really has a, a large company behind it, like large companies know how how the sausage is made. <laughs> Perhaps too vividly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of open source things that are about engineers only, who only value engineers. And they don't value designers. They don't value technical writers. They don't value marketers, uh, the community managers, all the things that make a, a project into like something really successful and useful to lots of people. Well, I mean, to to, to loop back to a prior episode, they could they could be what turns a project into a product. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and whether you think product is as commercial or not, like a non-commercial open source, but but a product. Yeah. Whether or not you should be able to understand it just by spending enough time with it versus mm-hmm. valuing technical writing and onboarding, like you know that people will want some degree of handholding to start to mm-hmm. use it. And I don't mean handholding in at all a negative way. Sure, sure, sure. The sort of way a, a, a good like sales engineer might help their their customer onboard. Yeah, I think there's this myth that if you're smart enough, you can just start doing anything immediately without any help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Similar, the myth that the the project founders or you know the, the engineer who wrote it. Can do all these things, yeah. And then you you often see people who are burning out because they were doing all these things when their when their passion was really coding. Yeah, or just like um something I, I try to have a lot of empathy is that everybody can be very smart but in different ways, mm-hmm. and you need to give them a lot of handfolding in a very mm-hmm. positive way the first time they try anything. Yeah, I'm gonna go on a metaphor, but then I'll come back. Mm-hmm. The first time I tried to use clip-on bike shoes, mm-hmm. have you ever biked with them? This is this is quite some metaphor. Uh, no, I've not used them. They they scare me. They scared me too. And then I was biking cross country, and I really need to start using them. Mm-hmm. And I'm a smart person, and I started biking, and it was really hard to get to use them. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that I needed practice and handholding on. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things where it's like, okay, you can have a very capable person, but their first encounter with something, maybe they need technical documentation. Maybe mm-hmm. they need a wizard. Yeah. God forbid a wizard, but like maybe <laughs> they need a yeah a, a quick starter tutorial. So it's interesting. One of the one of the large projects that I have a lot of experience with is is the PHP project. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I haven't written too much PHP, but for for several years I was I was involved in in the project in in various ways, and one of the things that really allowed people to get involved in in PHP, and I think they they really like pioneered this, is that all of their documentation had a comment section at the bottom, 
And this was before there was a Stack Overflow, but like you just had hundreds of like comments with people being like, "Here's a way to do this. Here's a way I use this function to do this." It was really the Stack Overflow of, of its day. But but politer. I'm sorry. I hope politer. No, no. I mean, it wasn't great. Okay. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was. It was a. It was the wild west of of commenting, and I'm sure there were people calling each other idiots and and that sort of thing. And this is like the late '90s, early 2000s. Side note: Like Ev Williams just gave a talk. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to defend Twitter, and he's like, "Oh, this whole uncivility thing is this very recent thing." And I'm just like, "What? No, no. have you been on like Usenet? Like, oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you, you don't, you don't need gifts to have a flame war. You just need ASCII. Yeah, yeah. The September that never ended. Yeah, I thought it was a very um, inaccurate thing for him to say that his literal quote was only the cool people used to be on. Oh, for fuck's sake! On the internet, so we were all very polite. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Only the cool people. I feel like the internet was was initially populated by people who were absolutely uncool in almost every way. Well, well, that's what I mean. I think that was like he was like it was only the the geeks, the nerds, and I say this as a geek and a nerd myself. Uh, yeah, so we yeah, were all yeah, played. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. God, you, yeah, yeah. You had this veil of you could type stuff and people would flame. Yeah, large open source project that that has this exact problem is the Linux project. Well, it starts from the top. It's well, in in that case, it definitely starts from the top. Every other project. Like you know, thinking about Rust, where where you know the opposite comes from the top, the invaders come in and they act like they have learned from other projects and and like they've learned from from Linus, and they have to be individually repelled. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I um, the closest I've come is I moderated a mailing list for a while. Oof. And um, just the level of and this was in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Just, mm-hmm. just people forget that there are humans on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very it's very easy to forget. It's just a text box. Yeah. One of the best things when I started using Intercom, the best thing about it was that you you saw the human, uh, and I, I got well, this or, as well. Or, when or I was the using, avatar. Well, the, yeah, the avatar, the human. But you, oh, you got this as well. It's usually not that person. I hate to break your bubble. Uh, I mean, I I understand that, but they, I mean, they saw my picture. Yeah. Right, and they're like, oh, this is another human. You got the same thing with reportive. Yeah. Uh, when you're you're writing to someone and you see their their picture alongside, it's like, oh yeah, this is this is a human who who has a you know a company that they work at and a and a Facebook profile and whatever else is is in the the information. But like, there's a photo and you see who they are and that they are in fact a, a person. Yeah. It's it's not um this is a person who has. Feelings, motives, their own mm-hmm. stuff going on in their in their life. It's not just so a punching w- bag. One of the best things about GitHub is emoji, because it's one of these things that you, you you didn't have in the old text days. You didn't have when you were you know sending patches to a mailing list. There was no way to really humanize your message. I think emojis can be so open to interpret. So I do agree that they're a step up, mm-hmm. but they they can be open to massive interpretation. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, if you stick to the to the smiley faces, I do. Um, <laughs> Your repertoire has not widened since. It's, it's it's really not very wide at all. P- people are sending me Bitmoji, and and I'm just like, I don't understand. Do you ever what? go for like the winky one or the thumbs up? Sure, sure, maybe maybe a, a winky emoji, a, a winky face, a, a thumbs up, maybe a heart. Uh, only the red one, obviously. There's other color ones. There's a heart with sparkles on it. That's not I you. Just, I d- yeah, no, not at all. Well, so so you have your own. I'm assuming Slack for your company. Yes, yes, yes. Have you started developing your own emojis yet? No, and I, I think the the Slack for our company is very underused. So we, we we followed your your suggestion. Our general room is now called the dark room, 
and the the random is is called the Lightroom. Oh, I, I thought I, I actually recommended the reverse, but okay. Okay. Mm. Well, dark dark is yeah, is a yeah, good thing yeah. for our company. Yeah. Then th- thank you for wearing your uh, your uh... my launch darkly t shirt. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Oh. So your your Slack isn't very used at your company. Well, so so there's there's five of us, and yeah. then we're You're all up. in the same room. Yeah, yeah, so. and, we're, and deliberately so. After the last company being very remote, we we focused very hard on in person interactions because we're we're inventing a new language, we're inventing a new technology. It's hard to do that without a high bandwidth communication. It's funny because um, my co-founder John and our first two engineers came out of Atlassian, mm-hmm. which has HipChat. Yeah, of course. So we use HipChat, and they would converse exclusively over HipChat. And they're they're sitting next to each other. Yeah. yeah. So the point where like uh, whenever we hired somebody, they would be a little freaked out because they'd be like, "You all never talk." And I'm like, "No, we're talking constantly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much value to asynchronous communication. Like I, I have notifications turned off on my machine, oh, I, and yeah. that allows me focus on on actually like coding stuff, uh, which is my job at the moment. I guess when my job changes to you know much more management and. Leadership and all that sort of thing you're supposed to do. I think I'll I'll probably have to turn the notifications back on. Yeah, well, to bring it back to open source, though, so oh, yeah. <laughs> so we are we are very very reliant on um, chat. On chat, yeah. But yeah. there will come a point when I'm like, hey, like let's get on the phone if we're not in the same place, or let's in an open source project. No, no, no. At, at oh, our own company, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I'm just like, right. hey, this is this is right. Exactly. It's like we are yeah. losing too much. We're getting in some sort of disagreement. I I think if we just stood up and talked. Yeah. Well, I I, I did this when I was at Mozilla. I was involved in uh, trying to increase contributor engagement, and I think one of one of Mozilla's great weaknesses is that it never focused enough on on contributor engagements and sort of cannibalized its, its contributor community. But there was a point at which we were working on on initiatives for first people to come in, um, the new new users trying to like solve a bug, you know, get involved in the in some way, and. You know, one one person was like, "Oh, you know, we we could do this," and someone else was like, "Oh, we could do this instead," and someone else was like, "We could do this," and just like the scope of what we were doing ratcheted up massively, <laughs> and then all the people who were talking about it started going off and implementing their own ideas and going in, in their different directions, and so you had like five six people doing individual their own things instead of one. You know, unified effort, which which actually, and so I had to get on the phone with people. I had to be like, yeah. listen, you know, there's, you know, we could do that, we could do this, we could do this. They're all great ideas, but like, you know, we we have to prioritize and. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I think that there's value in different types of communication that people don't always understand. I mean, voice is such powerful, but uh, communication method. But I try to reserve it for times that need voice. I mean, I think I think there's very few situations where you wouldn't gain benefit from voice. Well, so here here's a real one. Like, so we're hiring and we have a recruiter. Yeah. So there's two people that always want to talk: recruiters, yeah. real estate brokers. Okay. And it's just like they're like, "Hey, I just want Sales to check in." And I'm just like, "Why don't you yeah. just send me an email?" Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like they're literally like, "I just want to check in and how you're feeling about this." I'm like, Did, "Has anything changed since we talked three days ago?" They're like, mm-hmm. "No, I just want to check in." I was like, "Are we talking about your real estate broker here?" Yes. Yeah, I think one of the one of the great skills of sales, of which recruiting and um, real estate brokering brokering are, are both that skill, is understanding what medium your user would enjoy better and is more beneficial for your user. Yeah, but there is, I think, a great deal that is undervalued on talking to somebody on their phone. For sure, and I, I think I've overvalued it a little bit. I I, I said. Voice is always good, but with text, you do get a record of it. You do get people seeing what, what has happened. 
I know during incidents like you know SRE incidents and outages and that sort of thing, having everyone type everything, every thought into a chat room makes it much, much easier to do retrospectives, to do the blog posts that you have to do afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. The, the key though is to, to force people to admit when they don't understand something. Okay, tell me more about that. So if somebody writes a line like, I'm trying to think of a hypothetical incident, um, we don't think many people will be affected by this. Uh, okay, right, right, right. And then you you can you need to call them out. Like, yeah. What does not many mean? Right, right, right. Because everybody's they, idea. They're, they're like, I know, fifty thousand, something like that. And you're like, what? <laughs> or they yeah. could be like, it could be as many as five or as few as two. Great. great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, but like, so you, it, it is a very good medium where like yeah. you have this record of like everybody's definition of mm-hmm. not many or few or small. The challenge that you have with, with this sort of communication in open source is that you have so many people who have no shared. Uh, language, I guess, yep. and very little sense of the cultural norms. C- cultural norms of of how to have a discussion together. Yeah. So, like one one thing that I'll often do, someone asks me a question, and my first thing in in the vast majority of cases is, "What are your goals? Like, what are you trying to do?" I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone on the internet say, "What are your goals?" Like, think of a hack and news conversation. It's like. Yeah, you know, the, the the first thing they'll be like, you're doing it wrong. Here's how you're supposed to do it. And I'm like, what are your goals? What are you even trying to do here? And, <laughs> and then once we understand, once we have a shared understanding of goals, then we can actually discuss, you know, the implementation, the solution, whatever it is that that, that you're proposing. I, I was going to talk about one area of the internet where people are sometimes exclusive about their goals, which was online dating. Oh yeah, for sure. Like people can be very explicit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that that's that's a great one. You want people to be explicit about their goals. Yeah. Nothing like like seeing something very exciting, and then you know getting to the to the date or whatever, and then you're like, oh, we're looking for completely different things, and I've wasted two three hours of my time figuring out this that that could have been done much much earlier. Yeah, like I want to have somebody who will go play pinball at this bar, and who you know. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a case where people can be very very specific. Mm-hmm. You're an online dater, Edith. No. 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 Uh, hypothetically, what is your favorite online dating app? It's gone. It's gone. They they just shut it down. It was Grinder. I heard they sold it. <laughs> Come on, I'm not. A Grindr. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> no, they um they shut down Craigslist. Oh. <laughs> Did they really shut down Grinder? Uh, no, they sold it, but then there was a huge data leak a couple of days ago. Yeah, that was that was not good. Oh. All right, where were we? Open source projects. Uh, I think people underestimate the value of being very specific sometimes. Yes, yes, right. So you have some sort of goal, right? You have a pull request, and someone comes up and, and they say on the pull request, I think you should do X instead, or you should do Y instead. And occasionally you'll get people being like, I think your approach doesn't solve this, or you know, has this side effect, or whatever. But you, so rare to have people saying, you know, stepping back and being like, here are the goals of what I was trying to achieve. Yeah, I actually um not an open source per se, but I, I try to do that a lot when I'm um trying to resolve a conflict in in, in the company or the team. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, step up. Yeah, yeah. Like let's 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 back up for the situation. Like yeah. what what what's happening? Why are we having this conflict? Yeah. Cuz usually there's always a two answers to everything. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, why are we disagreeing? Is it because we actually have different goals? Yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons why um Compilers are very easy 
tools to to have communities around. Because Be- it's it's very clear. It's it's just every, everyone kind of yeah. knows like it, it's it's not supposed to crash. It's supposed to be extremely performance. It's supposed to generate fast code. Yeah. And so, like any conversation starts with those shared with those shared norms, and then after that, you know, the, this disagreement about I don't know indentation and and that sort of thing. But all, all all that is like is trivial to do. Yeah, I forget who we talked to, but they said um, the lower in the stack something gets, the more easy it is to open source. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So if you if you're trying to open source a Linux. product, oh, like OS, like Linux, yeah, 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 like it's pretty clear what an OS needs right. to do. The driver has to communicate with things, and yeah. yeah. But as you move higher and higher up, mm-hmm. it gets harder and harder to open source it. Like if you try to open source, I'll even say like a car. Yeah, there's still a lot of dis- disagreement about what yeah. does a car look like. Even like trivial seeming products. So let me let me pick Intercom as an example. Yeah. Intercom isn't isn't trivial seeming, but like in the early days, it, you know, it would have been fairly fairly straightforward what it did. It's just a chat, right? It's 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 just a chat plus plus some sort of messaging and and maybe some triggers. But trying to do that, like try, trying to steer a group of people who have no shared ideals about what the product is going to be into like what Intercom is today, yeah, you know, it's not possible whatsoever. Yeah. I think the more novel or new or up for variation something is, the mm-hmm. harder and harder and harder it is to open source. And I'm not saying you, that you open need source a shared is a, direction. Yes, and you need ownership of the components that lead to that direction. Yeah, and ownership I, I don't necessarily mean in like the owner's file or something like that, but like a you know accountability. Someone has to be accountable for for getting it. You know, for getting their part of the project in in in, in that direction. Yeah, I mean, um, not to go all meme, but have you seen the internet meme like you had one job? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes you just got to do one thing. Yeah. So if you pick, you know, some some random open source project, let's say Docker is a wonderful example here because there's so many competing interests. Oh yeah. In in the Docker ecosystem. Oh, so many. So when 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 you started with this, you know, it's it's a containerization format with a file system hackery that that makes it really fast. And this nice Docker file. Yep. Right. But then you've got Red Hat. You've got VMware. They all have their own things that they're trying to do to it. They're trying to make it important in their ecosystem. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make their ecosystem important to it. And then you've got all these these companies who are trying to own a little part of the Docker yep. space. And that's exactly what Kubernetes was trying to do. So Kubernetes was trying to own the orchestration yep. side of things with Google's. Goal of competing with AWS yeah. and, and and all that sort of thing. Meanwhile, Docker is trying to own their own share of it. And they're trying to introduce Swarm, and they've got Compose to try and and you know rest control and try to own the entire ecosystem. They're trying to do everything in every single direction. So every time a company starts up that's doing something useful, it's like Docker doesn't want to let that get away from them. Yeah. In case that becomes the the useful thing. Well, like so core, just, core OS. Yeah, exactly. So you just you end up with this like huge fragmentation in in the system, and this huge amount of wasted work because everyone is trying to drag it, kicking and screaming in the direction that suits them best. Yeah, well, I mean, so we we started off by saying an open source community was just people benevolently contributing yes, code. Yes, and, and now and now we've morphed to it's it's corporations. Yes, corporations fighting over who can be the most benevolent. <laughs> benevolent. Uh, who can seem the most benevolent as they what what are the words uh, embrace extend extinguish? So there was a time when open source was not corporations. Yeah, it was. And if you're if you're taking a Richard Stallman view of the world, yeah. and we should never have gotten into this open source thing, free software was the was the only right way of doing it. 
Well, I, I just think that's funny because now we say, well, open source has basically become corporations trying to seize a standard. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it always was. Not necessarily trying to seize a standard, but like, you know, no one's really doing this for their good or their health. I mean, we, we could argue that we like to build companies because we just like to build things, but there's many, many other uh, goals that go along with that, regardless of, of how benevolent uh, one might be. I do think there are individual maintainers who are really just doing it because they care about it. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are getting burnt out first. Yes, because they're not getting paid and they're getting basically screamed at by everybody. Yeah. This reminds me of the, I uh, remember when we had um, uh, Nadia. Nadia and uh, was it Sean Burns on yeah. that episode? Nadia Iqbal. And like the idea, and I think that, that there have been many, many iterations of this, and probably Patreon is the only one that's actually working, uh, is, is that uh, open source people should get paid for their, for their contributions. Oh, you look unhappy with this uh, idea. I, I think they should, but I think then there's this myth that I should just get paid to do whatever I want. Yes, I mean, the, the, that is a problem with the idea. And the other problem with the idea is that there will always be people who want to do open source for, for whatever reason that they want to do it and so you, there'll always be competition coming from from people who are doing it for free. Yeah. I think that was a good summary of open source morphing more into corporations, but mm-hmm. there's still people who honestly believe in it. Who who believe in open source. Yeah. Oh, for sure, but like w- w- what is the goal? <laughs> no, no I, I, I'm serious. Like uh, the when when you say you believe in open source, like what 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 do you believe that open source is? What is it for? No, I said there are still people who believe in open source. Oh, you don't believe? I feel like you're trying to force me into an answer. Well, uh, so I, I'm thinking of a conversation I had. Um, I got to meet uh, Gerald Sussman, who's one of the guys who like you know, popularized Scheme and and oh, yeah, you know, yeah. an MIT professor. You know, I, I actually bo- learned Scheme when I was a kid. Ah, you might have used his book. Yeah, because I, I learned Scheme when I was like 10, 11. It was like the right. most useless language ever. I mean, <laughs> no, it's basically a teaching language. Right, right. So, so, I mean, it's good for learning, but you can't do anything. So, so as well as being like, you know, this fabled MIT professor, yeah. he's also on the board of the, of the Free Software Foundation. And we spent uh, an incredibly arduous hour uh, <laughs> more, arguing more, with each other. Like, more, I mean, this was a complete waste of time for both of us. More, more arduous than our podcast? It was, no, it was, it was just like this, you know, this thing that started out as being like you know, discussing free software versus open source and, and, and so on. He's like you know, really in the Richard Stallman school of things. Uh, and, and my position was that you know, perhaps free software would have done better if it didn't have Richard Stallman as its <laughs> figurehead. And he vehemently disagreed, and we we're just starting at different places. And like his goal is like you know free software, uh, and my goal is like well I, th- I think you know there should be software. People should build things, and and but they should get paid for it. Mm, I don't. I don't even. I don't even think that. I, th- I don't think that they shouldn't get paid for it. But like when I produce open source software, I, I'm not there for the goal of getting paid for it. Oh no, but I do mean that like if you have a corporation, yeah, you have an obligation to the people who are working for you to pay them. Oh yes, yes, that 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 is important. People should have like roofs over their head and and be able to feed their families, this sort of thing. We weren't disagreed on that. Yeah, like I mean, I I I, I know our team believes in our mission, but I think they also show up every day because they get it. They, they get paid. Yeah. So you you you're saying you do pay your team? Yeah. Okay, that's 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 good. You, uh, there was that scandal about that company Plink. Which one? In Ireland. Oh. It was held up as this huge success because they'd raised $25 million in Series A. What's it called? Plink, P-L-Y-N-K. Never heard of it. Okay, in, in Ireland? In Ireland. Okay. 
And, and they weren't paying people? Well, it turned out that they announced this huge round of $25 million. Yeah. They were hiring people, and then they weren't paying them. How did they convince them to come into the office? I don't know. Ah. I mean, the, the, there's this whole thing about you know the, the unpaid interns and, and the people who can only afford to be unpaid interns because their family is already rich and, and this sort of thing. Yeah. We pay our interns. I'm like, if you, if you. Yeah, actually, software is one of the only industries, or at least it was one of the only industries that paid its interns. Yeah, so I remember. <laughs> but it won't pay it to open source contributors. I remember I was looking for a summer job when I was in college, and um, it was interesting because if you were in the humanities, you would go and you would not get paid. But yeah. I was in engineering. Yeah, you got paid a lot. Oh, uh, well, I got paid a fortune, a fortune for me at the time, which yeah. was guess how much. Uh, when you were in college, so that was uh, the forties. <laughs> uh. We were using punch cards, and I would wheel it up to an ENIAC. <laughs> uh. um, I, I, I I don't know the the translation to to modern amounts would kill me. Twelve dollars an hour. Twelve dollars an hour. Yeah, I, I had a. I think after you, I had a, a job at seven euro fifty an hour. Yeah, well, as this a was, software engineer. This was a huge step up because, like, work study at the time, I think I was getting like. Minimum wage was like four fifty or something. Right, right. So back back to open source. So this idea of like paying you know, contributors, I think it's an excellent idea. But I think that it, there there's a lack of an organization around that happening. I had this idea a while back that you know someone should make a company, maybe it's a nonprofit or whatever, around getting every company, every company that uses open source to contribute. And my idea was that every company would contribute one percent of revenue. One percent of VC dollars, and every person employed in software would contribute one percent to their annual salary, and that it would somehow be redistributed amongst the people who actually built the. So this was around the time that OpenSSL was yeah. a disaster, and everyone was, you know, building these empires on these crumbling foundations. I think the trick is how do you redistribute it? Like so go to go to loop back for a second back well, when that would be the challenge. Yeah, like back when I was moderating the mailing list, yeah. I was part of the lean startup group. Mm-hmm. Because this was the early days, like 2008, and um, this other guy had this idea that you know he could get paid to volunteer, and I said like, look, you cannot afford me, mm-hmm. and like the the amount you want to pay me is so insulting. I would yeah, I, I wouldn't do it for for cheap. Like, I'd do it for free, but not for cheap. Yeah, like I'm volunteering because yeah. I believed in the lean startup cause and I wanted mm-hmm. to get back, but um. You know, if you pay me fifteen or twenty dollars an hour to moderate this list, like yeah. the insults is just not worth it. I'm yeah. not doing this for the money. I, I had a similar thing with a, this company wanted to partner with, with Circle CI, and it was like, well, we'll pay you, we'll pay you a hundred dollars per lead that we get. And I'm like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, no amount of money could be worth like. Well, we're, we're going to give you like five hundred leads. We make fifty thousand dollars. That's like. That's was, half a month. It's like two weeks' salary or, or was something. Was this launched darkly? It was not. Okay, good. Oh, did you guys propose that? Because no. that's ludicrous. No, we would not. Have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I think the issue is um, what, what you just said. Mm-hmm. The, the issue of how to divide it up becomes very problematic. Right, right, right. Whereas, whereas doing it free, it's like you know, you you scratch our back, we'll scratch your back. It's like that. That's that's or you know, th- there's something else in it. There's something intrinsic in it, or or you know, there's there's a whole lot of like. You know, promotion, et cetera, et cetera. No, like for me, for volunteering, it was like this is my time when I give back. Like I volunteer. Yeah, but you, you get something out of it. Yeah, like I volunteer right now for my accelerator and mm-hmm. I give fundraising advice to a lot of people, like yeah. including uh, uh, people you know, and I don't mm-hmm. charge for that. Well, exactly. Yeah. Like and that. no no one charged me for it back in the day. Yeah, it was just like if, and it would be weird Sorry, if somebody. Yeah, yeah, no one charged me. That's right. Yeah. It would be weird if somebody said, hey, thank you. 
Well, the, I, I don't know if you got this in the early days, but there there are people around who are like, you know, I will advise your company uh, and stay away from them. I th- I think there's a category of people that do it well, and these are people who basically do it, who are experienced, who do it professionally, and who like commit to to a certain number of hours oh, yeah, yeah. and a certain number, yeah, like like coaches. I it's yeah. not not quite coaches, but yeah, yeah, something along those lines. I think that's good, but like there's yeah, there's a lot of um shysters in the ecosystem. Yeah, what I was trying to say is like Launch Darkly has advisors and there are people who were spending enough time with us that we yeah. said, hey, we should really be giving you some shares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah Not yeah. people who were like... Yeah. There's well, the, 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 there was a point at which I needed I needed you know more focused advice and I was talking to... It wasn't quite... Let's, let's call it a business coach for lack of a better term. And you know, there, 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 there was an agreement and there was cash and, and there, there was shares and, and, and all this sort of thing and I... It didn't end up happening for a bunch of reasons, but I, I think there was a, a fair and equitable, you know, contract being reached. Yeah, I, I think the, this is advice I give startups. I mean, there's people who I advise for free. Mm-hmm. I'm just like I just like giving back. Yeah, but if you're starting to ask a lot of somebody's time, yeah, you, you should yeah. you should be comping them in some way. Open source needs a bunch of things to make a project successful. So there were marketing, community, product management, and a, a vision. Vision, that was probably the biggest one. Yeah, uh, what are your, a roadmap, what are your a direction, and maybe some technical writers. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of Launch Darkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Mm-hmm.